On this edition of the Pigpen Podcast, the great Mark Tyler, right here from Hogshaven.com, jumps on to help me make some sense out of what we saw yesterday in the loss to the New York Giants. Plus, we get into detail as to what was Ron Rivera doing on that two-point conversion. That's coming up. Drink up that diesel. What's good? This is the Pigpen Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at Denton underscore Day. We got a great episode planned out for you. Uh, the great Mark Tyler, as you heard in the open, is going to jump on and join us here in just a few moments. But before we get into that, uh, today's open is going to be revolving around the decision that Ron Rivera made to go for the win. It is polarizing. We have gotten to the point where it seems like Ron Rivera makes at least one polarizing coaching decision every single week. Uh, we started with the timeouts, then we did more on the timeouts, and then he started calling timeouts. And, and now we're here. Now he decides after Kyle Allen put forth uh, one of the great throws he made all day. He made two really, really spectacular throws, the the touchdown to Logan Thomas and the touchdown to Cam Sims. Cam Sims, who would, who would just enter the game, uh, his first touchdown pass, as a pro, which was fantastic for him. It was great to see Cam Sims get that action. But after that after that touchdown takes place, Ron Rivera is forced with the decision, do I kick the field goal? Do I go to overtime? Do I go for two? He leaves the guys out there, goes for two. It doesn't work. The football team loses. Hindsight in this scenario is, of course, 2020. It would have been great if he, after knowing that we didn't make the two-point conversion, just, all right, just trot the field goal team out there and let's, let's kick it and let's move on. But I liked this decision from Ron Rivera. I agree with the mentality of we are here to win a football game. And I do believe in sort of the power of momentum. I thought the momentum was on our side. After watching Kyle Allen deliver that picture-perfect pass to Cam Sims and seeing Cam Sims come down with a picture-perfect pass. The whole team was hyped. You could feel the energy. I was sitting at home, you know, hundreds of miles away here in Northern Virginia, and I was energetic watching that play. So I like the decision to go for it because I think you are playing to momentum, and the momentum was in our corner. We just didn't make it. And that's my issue, right? Like, duh, we didn't make it. I didn't like the play call. I wish the play call would have been different. But in terms of the actual decision-making, this is what Ron Rivera had to do. He made a bold decision in benching Dwayne Haskins. That was a huge move from Ron Rivera. It took a lot of stones. He was proving to Dan Snyder, he was proving to all of us that this is his organization. He is in charge of all of the big-time decisions. It's not on Dan Snyder. It was a big thing for Ron Rivera to bench Dwayne Haskins, agree or disagree with the actual decision. But he did so because he wants to win 
the NFC East. Now, do I think the football team has any realistic chance of winning the NFC East? No, I don't. I don't think this team is good enough to win the division, even if the division is historically terrible and, like, comedically terrible at this point. The NFC East sucks. It's, like, it's hard to watch NFC East football games. That's to the point where we're at and it's only week six. I don't think that this team has a chance to win the division. Obviously, they don't feel the same way. And why should they? They're the ones that are actually on the field. They're the ones that are actually playing. So if Ron Rivera made that decision to bench Dwayne Haskins in order to win this division, he showed up at MetLife Stadium to win a football game. And his decision to go for two falls in line with the idea that he showed up to win a football game. So I have absolutely no issue with him deciding to go for two. Again, I wish the play call would have been different. I hate, I really do not like running the two-point conversion from what's like the two-yard line. I hate that. If it was up to me, I would take it from at least a five-yard line. Just to let the offense kind of breathe a little bit. Everything is so clumped up. It's, it almost seems like it's easier to defend, especially when you're not playing a great offensive team. And Lord knows we are not a great offensive team. It seems like it's easier to defend when you're bunched up at the two-yard line. So I wish you could take it three yards back from the five, give your offense a little bit of room to breathe, and let the route combos breathe a little bit so they're not as easy to defend. And who knows? Maybe that play turns out a little bit different. But I damn sure did not want to play for overtime or a tie. Especially not a tie. I hate ties in the NFL. They shouldn't exist. They're the dumbest thing ever. They go against almost everything that the NFL preaches about what it is as an organization, and they do it for money. I hate ties. They're stupid. So I love that Ron Rivera was not playing for a tie. I'm not 100% sure if I even wanted to watch overtime just in general. There were other great football games going on. Plus, this game kind of did hurt to watch a little bit. So if you had the opportunity to end it right there, Go for it. I loved the decision by Ron Rivera to go for two. I hope that is something that if this rebuild works, and I have no idea if it will. I don't know what the future looks like. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have, what are those, like palm reading cards? Uh, Not that I even believe in that sort of stuff, but I don't have any of that stuff with me here. I can't see how the future looks like, but I hope if Ron Rivera is here to stay for a long time and this does end up working out, I hope he never loses that sort of mentality. Showing up to win a football game and not being afraid to put the trust in your offense. Because that's what he was doing there. This isn't him not trusting the defense. This is him putting trust in the offense. And with a young offensive team that has read and heard all of the terrible things that we in the media have said about them, oftentimes rightfully so because they haven't played good at all, after reading and hearing all of that, to have the the confidence of your coach and to have your coach in your corner saying, I'm trusting you guys to go make a play, I do think that is a bit of a confidence boost. It just would have been nice if they actually, you know, made it. And then we would have won the football game and not lost to the team that was winless. That does kind of hurt the ego a little bit. But I love the decision. All right, let's get into the conversation with Mark Tyler right here at Hawkshaven.com. Really great stuff, so we'll dive into that now. 
All right, super pumped to welcome on my next guest to the pod. You've seen him all over the website, hogshaven.com. He is the great Mark Tyler. His studs and duds dropped earlier uh, today as they do every Monday. Mark, what's up, man? Thanks for jumping on. Hey, what's up? Glad to, uh, to have me on here. Thank you very much for the offer. And it was uh, it's a pleasure to jump on and chat some football with y'all. Yeah, we had a uh, an interesting dynamic uh, as far as how the game ended yesterday, we'll get into the two-point conversion stuff here in just a moment. But I want to start with just your general takeaways from what we saw on Sunday uh, as the football team fell to the the Giants 20-19. to Yeah, I tell you what, one of the more interesting games I've seen in quite a long time. I mean, um, you talk about an anemic offense um, going against another anemic offense. I mean, um, it was almost as bad as the, uh, the Jets game yesterday, but um, <laughs> not quite at that level. I mean, I kid around about that, but I tell you what, I came away from that game with a lot of questions. You know, um, they were more long-term questions about where is this team going to be going in the future? And usually in week six or seven, you don't have those type of questions, but it's one of those type of seasons where you're looking at the future. You're looking at, hey, can this guy even be an impact player for us in 2021, 2022? And I feel like this game just – it raised a ton of questions about the future of this franchise and where are we going and if, and I'll preface this again, if we have a plan. Now, of those questions, is there one guy in particular that maybe you had, maybe not high hopes, but re, we'll say reasonable hopes for, like, all right, this guy might be able to to be an impact player, to make plays for us down the future that you just haven't seen it from yet? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because this was something that was on my mind when I fell asleep last night, and I was thinking a little bit more from the game. But um, I don't think Antonio Gibson looked very well yesterday. I mean, I think McKissick ran the ball a hell of a lot better than Gibson. Obviously, Barber, he was mundane yesterday. I think he averaged 1.5 yards per carry, so I'm taking him out of the whole equation there. But I I thought Gibson was just going to come out and just – you know, have his breakout performance. And what I saw was a back that seemed to be pressing a little too much. He didn't seem to have the vision um, that I had expected to see sometime this season. And I just thought he didn't look good running between the tackles. Um, he, he's broken a ton of tackles this year. That's something that, you know, a kid who's 6'2", 230 pounds, that runs a 4'3", 9", going to do. But I, I just seem it seems like he just lacking that that awareness that um, burst through the hole. Sometimes the patience that you need to be able to allow these blocks to set up. So I was a little bit disappointed that he hasn't taken that next step in his maturation yet. Yeah, I get it. He's young. It's going to happen. It's going to come. He's a tremendously talented kid. But I was a little disappointed um, from yesterday's game with him. Now, one guy I definitely want to touch on here kind of at the start and we'll get into the two-point conversion situation here in just a moment but this was kind of the first real start and real end to the game for Kyle Allen this is the guy that Ron Rivera said he gives us the best chance to still compete for this division this division is atrocious we're in the worst division in football this is the guy that gives us a chance what did you think from start to finish of Kyle Allen's first real game here in D.C.? Yeah, I mean, Allen's a polarizing figure right now in our media, you know, local media. I mean, obviously the Redskins are a national organization, so he gets talked about a little bit with all the Dwayne Haskins uh, drama that surrounded this team for the last couple weeks. You know, obviously he and Alex have been talked about quite a bit, but 
In all honesty, I like Kyle Allen. I liked him when he was signed. I remember going back to when this kid was recruited because I do follow a lot of the national recruiting scenes. And I can tell you, he, he can spin the football. And you don't see, you know, tremendous arm talent um, a lot coming out of the high school ranks. And I remember watching videos of this kid. I'm like, man, he can really spin a nice ball. And you can still see those glimpses today. Um, good athlete, much better than people will give him credit for being. But for yesterday, it was a really up-and-down performance. Um, I didn't put him on my duds list. I thought about doing so, but I held back. Um, every time he made a mistake, he seemed to bounce back with some really good plays. And that's something I always look for in a quarterback. you got to have a short memory. you got to be able to come off of an interception and the next drive, forget about it and lead your team down the field. You know, he had that horrific fumble. And when he did that, I was like, oh, my goodness, you got to learn to put two hands on the ball. And, you know, I know you're trying to grasp it on the way down, but, man, oh, man, we just can't have that happen. But he put together a hell of a drive at the end of the game that put us in position to possibly get a victory. So I thought with him, I saw some things that were tremendous. I love the way he got out of the pocket, bought some extra time with his feet, um, made some throws. I tell you what, that that touchdown to, to uh, Logan Thomas Ooh, at the back of the pylon, great was throw, absolutely a thing of beauty. And it was it was funny because I haven't like hugely been a, a big Logan Thomas guy. I mean, I kind of covered the area where he went to high school with, so I so I got a little love uh, for that area of football, but. That was arguably the best play of Logan Thomas's NFL career. That little toe tap there and securing the catch, it was a thing of beauty. Mm-hmm. Now, he's another one, too, that I know you'd ask the question about, you know, some guys that maybe have stood out or some guys that we thought could get a little bit more out of during the year. And, you know, coming into the season, I was one of the, the guys pounding the pavement for a big-time tight end. And, you know, it kind of goes back. I, I think I'm more old school when it comes to tight end. I want to see a traditional inline guy. I love my guys that can block. You know, they can sneak out there on a quick arrow route. They have enough agility to, uh, you know, put a little move on the linebacker and get vertical down the seam. But, you know, I'm, I haven't been a fan of guys that are just joker tight ends, you know, and they're limited in that role. So I've always been the guy, hey, listen, I want to I want a Kelsey. I want to – I'll go back – to the old school tight end, like a Kyle Brady, who I grew up emulating. Mean, you know, I love that kid, love his game. So I love an old school tight end like that. And I know Thomas is not that guy. And in my mind, there's always that little bit of disappointment because he's not a good blocker. And Jordan Lee was the same way. You know, he was a joker tight end. And um, obviously, we have a kid in the draft this year that Kyle Pitts from Florida. Um, he's a jumbo receiver. He's not an inline tight end. As much as I absolutely love Kyle Pitts. I would love to see him in a Redskins uniform. I'd take Pat Firemuth in a heartbeat over him because he's a more complete tight end. So with Thomas, I've been a little bit disappointed, but I thought Thomas played a pretty good game. He, he caught some beautiful passes. He caught some tough passes. He showed a little bit of grit and determination in the blocking um, game that I hadn't seen for four weeks. Um, and, he, and he really stood out a little bit. So he was on my studs list for the game. So I was, I was very pleased to see what we saw from Thomas yesterday. And with the great throw to Logan Thomas, we had the great throw to Cam Sims, which put the team in a, in a tough position. You can go for the tie. You can go for the two. Ron Rivera left the offense out there. It's become his polarizing decision of the week. It seems like every single week there's one of them, whether it be timeouts. Now it's going for two. What did you think of his decision to go for the win instead of going for the tie and playing for overtime? 
so in all honesty, I was I was fine with it, you know. And I even wrote in my notes section on stuff that I really had no problem with Ron going for that at the end of the game. Um, you know, he came there, he came there to win a football game. He thought that gave him the best chance to win that football game. Do I agree with the play call? No, nah, I think we could have probably been a little bit more. Um, you know, there could have been some more aspects in that play that could have allowed some. Like a, a more of a flood concept if he was going to roll out or something like that. I, I really like that play in the goal line because you can, A, get three different levels. You get a goal line level, you get a mid-level, and you get a guy going back toward the pylon, and you also have the quarterback with the opportunity to run as well. So I thought the play call was a little bit, you know, a little bit pedestrian for that situation, but I have no problem with the call. I'm not going to second-guess Ron. Now, listen, had he went for the uh, tie and took us into overtime, I would have been fine with that too. So I was kind of on board with whatever Ron's decision was at that time. But um, like I said, you know, when we were chatting before, um, you know, I looked at my father-in-law who was watching the game next to me, and we kind of went, wow, is he really going to do this? And then when the play was over, we both looked at each other, and we just we just didn't say anything for about five seconds. We kind of just, just reflected. But, um, yeah, again, I have no problem with the, with the call. Um, it sucked that we didn't get the win, but um, I, I like the aggressiveness. I want to ask you about our, our offensive play design. You're a guy that played the game, now you coach the game, and maybe not about that two-point conversion in itself because I, like you, I, I'm pretty happy that they went for it. I thought it was the right decision. Um, but just in general, I look back at the Kyle Allen interception, and it seems like it's the reoccurring problem with our offense in that we're we're kind of jumbling guys together in route combinations. Is that something that you've picked up on, or am I just kind of pulling its strings here by the way that we designed our route combinations, which makes it more difficult for a guy like Kyle Allen when he has to throw into five defenders? No, I think that's. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I, you're seeing a lot of trends in the NFL today. With um, you're picking up things from college football and you're adding it to an NFL repertoire. So I think we're seeing that. Um, College football for the last 10 years has been a very concept-based passing scheme where you're basically looking um, at two reads. You know, you're not giving these quarterbacks a ton of reads. You may give them an RPO, um, you know, but on your traditional drop-back passes or your shotgun, which you're seeing most of the people do, it's all concepts. And so these concepts are usually one read is usually a high read, then you come down to a lower read, and then you have a check down or your quarterback takes off and runs. So we're starting to see a lot of that in the NFL, but what you're seeing on some of these concept-based passes are over routes combined with an underneath route, um, you know, a scissors combo. You could see a, um, a smash combo. There's a lot of different combos that we're seeing, but I think for the Redskins, when I say Redskins now, as I uh, want to go and correct myself, for the Washington football team, <laughs> we, <laughs> it's still tough to do to this day. It still um, is. We're seeing a lot of um, the receivers, I think, are the culprit. So I think a lot of people have been on Turner's scheme. And listen, there, there are reasons why. I don't think his team has been perfect. But I do think that these receivers are young. Some of them are still understanding how to run routes. Um, and I don't think we're starting to see the, the relationship um, of the receivers in conjunction with one another in these combos. So I think that's part of the problem. And the other part is we don't have a quarterback that can really trust these guys. Dwayne did not trust the receivers. He could tell he was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable pulling the string, even though his eyes were telling him one thing. His brain was saying something different to him, like, hey, don't do this for some reason. So he wasn't comfortable in the scheme yet. 
Um, with Kyle, I think we saw a little bit more comfortability, but I don't think he and his receivers are on the same page. Um, I'll point to Isaiah Wright. I noticed a couple times um, rewatching the game briefly this morning that Wright has some issues coming back to the football, and he cuts his routes off short. So that's caused a little bit of an issue. We saw that down by the goal line where he came back and the ball was defended against him. But had he have taken two more steps toward his quarterback, that would have been a completed pass for a first down. But in his mind, he was thinking, I don't want to leave the end zone, so I'm going to stop this right off a little short. So I think some of it is conceptual and it's based on the play calls, but some of it is the receivers not quite being in tune with the offense, with the quarterback. And, um, you know, being a lot of young guys on this team, you're going to see that. Now, it's obvious Terry McLaurin, just like the greatest human being in, in the world right now, he's awesome when it comes to the wide receiver position. There's a significant drop-off after that. And I know entering the season, it was supposed to be Kelvin Harmon, and I, I really do feel that this offense would look completely different if Kelvin Harmon was healthy, but the unfortunate reality is he's not. And I'm not going to dive into these what-if games, but I look at the group that we have at the wide receiver spot, and I want to get your take on this. Who needs to be the guy to step up? I've been a huge uh, proponent of Antonio Gandy-Golden. We share the Liberty connection. I, I met him once or twice in passing when I was there and he was a young kid. But what we've seen from him isn't quite good enough yet. You mentioned the the issues with Isaiah Wright and cutting his routes off. And then Dontrell Inman, I'm a little iffy on at this point. Who is the guy that you see as, as truly the, the wide receiver two to go along with Terry McLaurin? I mean, so that's the, that's the issue right now. I don't think we have a legitimate wide receiver, too, um, on this team. Um, you know, Inman's a, he's a, he's a street-free agent, you know, who's a well-traveled vet. He, he does run good routes. He understands how to catch the ball away from his body. But he hasn't had a lot of time to work with the quarterbacks, and the scheme is new to him. So you're going to see some, some veteran growing pains there with him. But you know, he's best served as a mentor to the younger guys. You know, wide receiver number four is probably his, like, you know, that's where he would fit in basically on an offense like ours. AGG coming into the season, I had very high hopes for. But playing at a small school like Liberty, coming into the NFL where you're playing against these studs every day, there was always the issue of route running and separation. I don't think he plays his stem very well. And I thought, saw that when we were, um, you know, doing a little bit of recruiting work on him and doing some film study. But at the top of his stem, he doesn't get the hips to where he needs to be. He really needs to drop his hips, sink them over top of the ball to his feet, set his defender up with a head or shoulder fake, and really snap out of that break. I'm just not seeing it from him. And when we look at all 22, you're seeing him not get open. And I think these are the little nuances that he needs to work on. Um Tremendous kid when it comes to size. You know, he's a great athlete. I think he's a little bit faster than his post four six time. So he has the ability to grow into that route. But you look at some of these kids that are coming out of college and they're impacting the NFL right away. I mean, I watched uh, Ruggs. I watched Chase Claypool look phenomenal the last couple of weeks. You know, his routes are sharper. He's a big kid like AGG, but he uses his body and sets his defenders up differently. So things are coming hard for AGG right now. And unfortunately, not a lot of us thought that the Harmon injury was going to impact this team as bad as it did. But I was a big Harmon fan coming out of college. I thought the kid had, you know, legitimate number two wide receiver skills when he came into the league. Tremendous hands, strong kid. You know, wasn't the fastest kid in the world, but he reminded me of an Anquan Bolden. And losing him has really hurt this wide receiving core. And we're seeing guys like McKissick being lined up out there as a receiver. And, you know, it's just not clicking for us right now. 
So we need help. Um, I happen to think that it will come in the form of free agency in 2021. So we'll get to defense in a second, but I kind of want to stay along the lines of the wide receivers. When it comes to, as you mentioned, kind of looking forward here, you think it's going to come in free agency. Are there some guys in the draft? I think we're out of the running, per se, for a guy like Jalen Waddell. He is fantastic. He's likely going super high in the draft. Jamar Chase is going to be right behind him and like all six other Alabama wide receivers because they're like wide receiver you at this point. But is there a guy in college that you think is really, really good that might be available in one of the later rounds that we could be able to kind of scoop up and score, almost like the forgotten guy that was Terry McLaurin that we've been able to turn into a complete stud at the wide receiver spot. I mean, that's one of the things about college football this year with with starting a little bit late and not having all your conferences in play. A lot of these younger guys that may be um, you know, juniors this year or even um, redshirt sophomores, we haven't quite seen break onto the you know the big time show yet. Um, the guys you mentioned, like Waddle and, and Jamar Chase, I mean those guys are awesome. Smith from Alabama, he's another one, undersized kid. Looks like he's 175 pounds soaking wet, but he plays so much bigger. I mean these are going to be your guys that are going to go high, but they're always diamonds in the rough at receiver. And I'm always a big proponent of going after the guys that have played in the big time conferences. You know I like my SEC guys, I like my Big Ten guys. You know conferences where they actually play some defense and these guys aren't just running wide open against like um you know second tier defensive backs so i think we'll see some of those guys pop up but if i read ron's language right last year we threw a record contract at cooper he took a little bit less money as was reported to go back to dallas and um you know so we were in the market for a guy like that and i think this year in free agency you have a couple big-time names. You have a Godwin. You have an Allen Robinson. You have Keenan Allen, even though he's a little bit older. Um, you know, so there are some big-time names out there, and I think we're going to be in play for one of those guys. You know, maybe one or two hit the open market, but um, that's really where I think we're going to get our compliment to Terry McLaurin. And right now, if you ask me who I would love, it would be Allen Robinson or Godwin. And I have a funny feeling that Godwin's going to hit the market, and if we offer him a decent contract, um, is there a chance that we could pull him in with that wide receiver one slash two designation? I, I think so. All right, let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. We've given enough love to the guys uh, on offense. <laughs> Who are some of the guys that really stuck out to you in their performance uh, yesterday against the, the Giants? Yeah, I, I think I think Deron Payne had one of his best games um, that I've seen from him this season. You know, people kind of harp on him, and I'm one of them. I'm one of those guys that, you know, I was a I was a – Derwin James fan, and I thought that he should have been the pick that year. So I was a little down on pain, um, especially after he came out and had a sophomore season that looked like it slacked off a little bit, even though he was getting a lot of double teams at that, uh, you know, at the nose position. But now that he's playing really that one-off position um, in our defense, he's really starting to take hold. And the hands on this guy, unbelievable. His handwork, how strong he is and just how active his hands are. I think he's taken his game to another level, especially over these past four weeks. Um, I believe he had, I want to say, five or six tackles, um, one for a loss. But if you look beyond the stat line, he was consistently in the Giants' backfield, you know, causing players to get blown up. So um, I thought he played an outstanding game on defense from a defensive line position. And then obviously you look at Fuller. I mean, Fuller, what he has done in these last uh, few weeks, has been outstanding. Um, I know PFF had had him rated as one of their top defensive backs in the league these last couple of weeks. 
you know, popped another interception. So that's four interceptions now he has on the season in his last three games back. Um, he's playing good coverage. Not to say he's perfect, but he's playing really good coverage. And last uh, against the Giants, he floated back at safety. So you did see him back there as a single high in a couple of different looks. So um, he's versatile, and um, he's on his way to making a Pro Bowl this year. Keeps us playing up. Uh, I've gotten to the point now where I almost see Kendall Fuller as the Terry McLaurin of the defensive backfield because you know Terry McLaurin is fantastic. He's going to handle his business. And so far what we've seen from Fuller is the exact same thing. But who else? I mean, we can just kind of pick off names on names on names here. Who needs to step up in the secondary? Because it seems like it's Kendall Fuller and everybody else. Who needs to to be better and to make his job a lot easier? Well, we can we can point to the most obvious one now, who's still in our starting lineup, being Landon Collins. I was one of Collins' uh, biggest fans coming in as a free agent. Um, I loved Landon Collins when he was at Bama. I wanted us to draft him. You know, obviously he went to the Giants. Had an all-pro year, his second year there. Um, and then when he came over to us last year, he struggled in coverage, but he was he was rock solid in the run game. I mean, I remember doing a ton of um, clips on him, and just he looked like a little linebacker, the way he would fill a hole, the way he would come down and chase guys down. So this year we've seen a little bit of, um, of, a, of a transition into this new defense. You know, he's, uh, he's come down, he's missed some tackles, he's missed some open field tackles. He's had some coverage gaps, especially on tight end, which has always been his Achilles heel. Um, so he's been a little bit of a disappointment. Fans are down on him. I've tried to maintain some positivity with him, but you know I do see those areas of the game where he struggles. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to go on record as saying that I think that some of the poor safety play that we saw early in the season from Troy Apke definitely affected other members of this team, including Collins. I think he was putting a little too much on his own shoulders. I think if we had better safety play from the free safety spot, you would see Collins excel a little bit, be able to drop down in that box where he's more comfortable and play almost as that hybrid linebacker. But he's the most obvious. Um, I would say one of my biggest disappointments has been Ryan Anderson. Um, was not a huge fan when he was drafted. I thought he was very limited athlete playing the outside edge position. But we really haven't seen him show up and do anything special. I know he's been you know, battling some injuries lately. But um, I, I figured that he would definitely find himself a role in this defense, um, whether it be as a, a Sam linebacker in an over front or whether it be as a pure edge rusher. I figured they would find a spot for him and he would make a little bit more of an impact that he's already made. But um, I haven't seen much from Ryan Anderson. and I, I've been pretty disappointed, and I think uh, this will be his last year in a Washington football team uniform. Uh, final question defensively, we'll kind of stick with the linebackers because we knew entering the season that was going to be the, the weakest group on our defense. Our front seven is awesome. We have some playmakers in the defensive backfield. It was We were worried about that linebacker spot. What has been your take on the play of, of Kevin Pierre-Lewis? I think he's played relatively solid so far. How have you seen, What have you seen from him that you've liked so far? Yeah, it's been an up-and-down season from him. It seems like every other game he has an outstanding game, and then he'll fall back into a little bit of a funk. I mean, he did not play well against the Eagles. He was um, he was abused by Goddard, um, you know, and, and that was – everyone was kind of just looking at that game and saying, hey, what were these guys seeing in the summertime that they were raving about this kid? Then he came out in our next game and was lights out. And he was playing more against the run. You could see the sideline, the sideline ability. He was flying all over the field, making plays in the backfield. He was doing some cross-dog blitzing with him. Um, 
So I didn't think he played tremendous yesterday. I thought he struggled a little bit. I think he was uh, a little bit off because the Giants run a lot of off motion, and I think he was um, he was peeping into the backfield. Same thing you saw with Cole Holcomb yesterday. There was glimpses of his athleticism and brilliance, but then there were times where you just watch him not read his keys or take a misstep, and it was the same stuff we saw from him last year. But, um, you know, I, I look at those two as, like, similar type of athletes. They're both fast. They're both big-time hitters. They have the capability to cover, to drop into that hook, curl, buzz, flat zone, um, but sometimes they don't trust their read. And, um, you know, overall – I've been happy with Pierre Lewis, but I do think his games have been up and down. I think we've seen, you know, a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde from him so far this season. All right, Mark, final question. You've been exceptionally gracious with your time, so I promise I won't take you too much longer. But this is a quarterback-driven city. You know, we love the questions about the quarterback. Based on what we've seen from Kyle Allen, if you had a gut feeling, do you think he finishes the season as the starter for the football team, or do you think we flip-flop at least once, maybe twice more at the quarterback spot? Yeah, I think we see some flip-flopping a little bit, um, whether it be from injury, whether it be from poor play. Um, I think the staff knows what they have in Allen. They know that he understands the offense and how to run it. But we don't know what Dwayne has. We saw glimpses last year. I mean, there were some plays and some cut-ups that you know, I did of him, that other people online did of him, where you were just like, wow, this kid has – the arm talent is unbelievable. Um, does the head match it? That's the question. But I think we have to figure that out. And I, I do believe that the staff should take some time to see, hey, are we gonna, is he going to be a part of the plans of the future? Are we going to 100% move on and just start you know, all over again? Um, so I do honestly feel that we'll, we'll see a little bit of Haskins later on during the season. As much as I love Alex Smith, um, it just I, I get terrified to see him in the backfield playing quarterback, especially with the offensive line that we had the prior couple of weeks um, with Wes Martin just being steamrolled every other play. <laughs> it just made me not want to see Alan, uh, you know, um, Alex back there. But um, I think between Haskins and, and Allen, I, I do think we see a little bit of both of them as the season progresses. Um, you know, and maybe Dwayne did something behind the doors that we all don't know about. You know, that's been the rumor floating around out there. Um, he was named a team captain coming into the season. He has tremendous arm talent. He's supposedly getting a good idea of what this offense looked like and starting to click with his receivers. So to pull him like we did as abruptly as we did after a game where he, he you know, he did the things he was supposed to do and made some strides going forward, a little curious to me. So um, I don't think we've seen the end of him yet, but again, we'll have to see on that one. Mark, you've been awesome, man. This has been some really great stuff. I appreciate you uh, joining me and giving – uh, some great insight on what we saw on, on Sunday. Enjoy the rest of the football that we got here on Monday. Another doubleheader for us. Be well, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Hey, you as well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys, and uh, enjoy. Enjoy your football tonight. We'll talk soon.